Okay. So, last week I was talking to us about the importance of the importance of our the church being involved in the society around us how we can't place the blame elsewhere if we ourselves are not being faithful to do the church's job so this week i wanted to explore what that means how how do we fight the fight that we are called to as as believers, as the Church of Christ. I was convicted listening to a podcast called the Fight, Laugh, Feast podcast. I don't know if any of you have heard of that one, but they had a, a man on by the name of Dr. Sunshine. That's his actual last name. He's not a medical doctor. He's like a historian. And he... They, in the process of their discussions with him about culture and everything, they got to the point where they asked him the question, hey, so what do Christians do who are, who want to fight back? They want to resist the Marxism and the, all the ism, schism, everything that's happening in our world today. How should Christians fight back? And I found his answer quite convicting. Because I was expecting, you know, well, the things you usually hear, go vote, write your congressman, uh, whatever. These steps of being politically involved, go hold a sign somewhere. And his response was, pray. And he said, if you look at the persecuted, or not the persecuted, you look at the, the countries where the Church of Christ is growing by leaps and bounds... He said, those nations are nations where the Christians take prayer seriously in a way that American Christians do not. They see the moving of the Holy Spirit because they are a praying people. And I could tell everybody on the podcast was convicted. The hosts, they're a lot of fun to listen to anyway, but they're all, you know, their reaction is basically, owie, that hurts. And that was my reaction as well. How easy it is to turn to the arm of the flesh, even in an attempt to accomplish good and godly ends. So I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Second Corinthians ten four. Starting in verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So what is the real battle that America is facing today? Is it Republicans versus Democrats? 
or right versus left, or Trump versus Biden. No, this is all, that's all symptomatic stuff. That's all downstream stuff. Is it the moral majority versus the social left? No, even that is still downstream stuff. That's still squabbling over the fruit. At a root issue, it is still the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. It's been the same conflict ever since the beginning. And if we want to fight back, so to speak, we need to realize who we are fighting against. The goal here is not to fight back against the Black Lives Matter rioters who are doing bad things. Yeah, they are doing bad things. That's what sinners do. And if it weren't for God's grace, we'd be doing the exact same thing. They are not our enemy. That doesn't mean there isn't a time where you might need to have a gun to protect your family from X evil evildoer. That is good and right. But let's not get sidetracked to where we think, okay, because I'm going to have to take up arms against a tyrannical government, or because I'm going to have to take up arms to defend my family, or whatever, therefore that's the real conflict. No, that's not the real conflict. That is an aspect of walking out your duty as a Christian faithfully. But that is not the real battle. This is the real battle. It is the battle between Christ and Satan. And we have the great joy of knowing that this battle is simply a battle that is pressing out a victory that has already been won. The end result of this contest is not in doubt. Even though in certain, on certain pockets of the battlefield, certain regiments may be hard-pressed. But the Church of Christ is not slowing down, is not being beaten back. There is no panic in the throne room of heaven. So we are fighting in a spiritual war. We are fighting with spiritual weapons, or we should be. So what is the biblical process then? How do we fight? I want to turn to another familiar verse. 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. That is not right. <laughs> I wonder if that was supposed to be Second Chronicles. You think it people? Yes. Second Chronicles? Second Chronicles seven yes, Second Chronicles seven verse fourteen. <laughs> I wound up in a genealogy there. Like that that's not what I was looking for. Okay. Second Chronicles chapter seven, starting in verse twelve. Then Yahweh appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. This is after the Feast of Dedication of Solomon's Temple, I believe is the context here. Then Yahweh appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people... And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's walk through that a little slower. Okay, we see judgment. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. 
Do we see judgment from God on our land today? Absolutely. Is America God's people? No. The church is the people of God. At the same time, America has been a bastion of Christendom, of the church, for a long time. We are a Christian nation. So judgment on America is not synonymous with judgment on the church, but they are very intertwined, right? We can still see there is judgment coming on the land in which, but at least we proclaim that we are largely the people of God here. Okay, well, what are the people of God supposed to do? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It did not start, the progression did not start with civic involvement. It started with humbling yourself before God. It started with prayer and with seeking His face. That is the square one of Christian Reformation. Square one is not write your representatives. Square one is not start a great YouTube channel that refutes Marxism. Square one is humble yourself. Me, humble myself and pray. Prayer goes along with humility because prayer in itself is an acknowledgement that I can't do this. The reason I pray is because I need God to act. Because I cannot bring about the desired result by the works of my own hands. So a good example of this is Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. How does So Nehemiah, you remember, he leads the people to the rebuilding of the temple. So we're talking major reformation and restoration after the judgment of God. That is what Nehemiah is about here. So how does Nehemiah start? Chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Can can we paraphrase that? The remnant of the Christians who live in California are being threatened with lawsuits and jail time for meeting together. And the cities are being burned to the ground, and Bibles are being burned in the streets, and babies are being put to death by the thousands in the womb, and, 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 and. What's Nehemiah's response? I got a bunch of people together and started a campaign to restore Jerusalem. Well, kind of, but no, not first. What does he do first? When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. 
I said, I beseech you, O Yahweh, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. And his prayer goes on, and it's a, it is an appropriate prayer for our day. And this is how Nehemiah starts, with days of prayer and fasting. He cries out before God night and day. He's repenting of sins. He's asking God to remember His promises. Nehemiah started with prayer. So when we go to fight the fight of reformation and restoration, we have to remember that is a fight that is a spiritual fight and it starts in your prayer closet. It starts with labor. In the prayer closet. With hard work, prayer and fasting, tears and sweat in prayer. Because we have to realize, and this is one of the most convicting lines from that podcast for me, was that that man, when he gave his summary about how we should pray, at the end of it all, he said, if we're not going to pray, we might as well just hang it up. And that's true. Where is our trust? Where is our faith? Is it in us? We're going we're gonna to get active. We're going to get involved. That, that's, that's not the war we're supposed to win. That might be how Trump got elected, by people getting active and getting involved. And we can see how well that went, right? That's not winning the war. That's just... That's playing with the skirmishes on the sidelines. We're called to fight the bigger battle. Okay, so number one is prayer, real prayer, hard work prayer. You want to fight? You, you watch the videos on Facebook and you feel depressed about the world and you wish there was something you could do? There is. And it's not primarily write your rant on Facebook about how bad that was. And this is coming from someone who's a prolific rant writer on Facebook about how bad stuff is, okay? But if you want to fight against the Marxism, if you want to fight against the little old lady getting paint thrown on her by rioters, if that just makes you mad, well, it should make you mad. It is wrong. Go pray. And, and start with yourself when you go pray. Start with the church. Lord, we repent. We repent where we have failed. Forgive the sins of your people. I repent. Show me how I have failed. And then you labor in prayer. Oh God, remember your promises. Come and act mightily. It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. It really starts. With, we have to start with prayer and faith in God. That We cannot do this ourselves. Okay? Number two. Personal repentance and holiness. Matthew 7. Remove the log from your own eye. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Talks about if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a useful vessel, useful to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how we need to lay aside our sins so that we can run the race. It always starts with yourself. It starts with your responsibility before God. So you want to put Marxism to death? Put your anger to death. Put your lust to death. Put your fill in the blank. 
What is, what is your sin? <laughs> For me this morning, it was anger. We were running late again. We've got to recognize that Satan in your heart, in your home, driving a wedge between you, your family, you and Christ, you and the church, you and your ability to be an effective tool in the hand of God, whatever your pet sin is, you cannot be an effective servant of Christ and be okay with that sin hanging out in your heart. And when you go and sweat in prayer, God will make that sin obvious if you ask Him to. So it starts with prayer, and then it moves to the fight of personal holiness. It's so easy for us to fight the fight out there and point out how all those rioters are just terrible, and look at all the bad stuff they're doing. But Christ is concerned with our hearts and with us taking the log from our eye first. So what's my sin to repent of, not just in the sense of nationally, but individually? Am I walking in holiness? Okay, this is step two in fighting the good fight of the faith. Put on the armor of God. Put to death the sin so that you can run the race. Prayer, personal sanctification. Number three, real life ministry where God has given you calling and opportunity. Again, it's easy in our internet age, we see all the problems out there, and we want to fix all the stuff out there, and if we could just get some great federal officials elected, maybe they could do something about the stuff going on out there. But the biblical process, you see it in the early church, the biblical uh, passage I would refer to here is Luke chapter 10, 30 to 37, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is illustrating what? The second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor. Who was, the good, who was the neighbor of the man that got beaten up? It was the Good Samaritan. Why? Because the Good Samaritan stopped to be involved with someone who needed something that God laid in his path in the day-to-day. -day. There's people online who complain about Things like John MacArthur's church meeting and can't, can't God connect us through the internet as well? Well, yes and no. God can do whatever he wants and the internet is a big blessing. But no, God designed a physical world. God says greet one another with a holy kiss. Does that mean you actually have to kiss? I don't think so. But there is clearly an intimacy that is supposed to be there in the body of Christ that is not compatible with Zoom. It's just not the same thing. And in the same way, God has put us in a physical world with real neighbors. Can you minister to people on Facebook? Yes, absolutely. And should you? Yes, absolutely. But who has God put in your path who is lying there, having been beaten by the robbers, left stripped and bleeding, and everybody's walking by? And would you even know? This is... I'm preaching what God has convicted me of and what I want to do more of myself. I don't know what my neighbor, my literal next door neighbor, is going through. I don't know if, if she's, what, thinking about having an abortion? I don't know. How would I? I don't even remember her name. Okay? God puts people in our lives. That is fighting back against Marxism. When we love our neighbor, 
like God has called us to. And that's not something that is primarily done over the internet. That is something that is primarily done by when you meet that person, you get to know that person. You counsel that person. You come alongside that person. You love them. You preach the gospel to them. You help them. And you seek to know, how are you the wounded man by the roadside? And how can I bandage your wounds in the name of Christ? Because there are people like that everywhere. And that is the primary means of the advance of the gospel. It is personal. It is also discipling your children. Those are built in into your household discipleship opportunities. But I, I guess my caution for us is, let's be careful lest we get so comfortable making disciples here, which is good, that we lose sight of what Jesus said, which was, go! Go! Into all the world and preach the gospel. There are lost people. Lost in going to hell. Also lost in living in darkness. They don't know what to do. She, she's on her third marriage and this guy beats her too. And nobody... Who's she going to tell? Her dad? Her dad used to beat her. And that's where the church has to be. To say, no, no, no. Don't go get an abortion. No, no, no. No, we'll, we'll help you. You don't need to get married again. Come to the church. And we will help you. Let us introduce you to Christ. Let us teach you what it means to be free from your own sin and your own guilt. And I mean, that's just one illustration, right? There are so many others. The, the man who can't find a way to provide for his family. He's just depressed because of all that's going on with COVID. He's lost his job. Maybe he's suicidal. There's a place for the church to be. Here are answers. Here are real answers. Can you imagine where we would be without God's word? We'd be lost. Literally, just anchorless, floating. So, minister where God has given you calling an opportunity. Look for personal ministry. You want to fight back against the Marxism out there? Then look for your next door neighbor. Look for that guy at the store. Look for that person that just looks lonely every time you go to your, your college class. Whatever. Find those. Pray for. Pray for. <laughs> Let's not miss our first step. It starts with prayer. Lord, give me someone to disciple. Lord, give me someone to lead to Christ. Prayer, personal sanctification, real life ministry where God has given you calling and opportunity. That's in your family, that's in your community, it's in your church, and it's in your local government too. You want to get involved in government? Okay, we'll start local. Be involved where God has put you. And then the fourth one. The fourth one. The last one is preaching online and writing your representatives and so on. My point being simply, it is good to speak the truth wherever God gives you the opportunity to speak the truth. And if that's Facebook or YouTube or a writing congressman, then great, do that too. But let's just remember that it's so easy to get wrapped up in all that's going on and jump straight to, well, where's my biggest pulpit? I can tweet. And I'm going to tweet so that hopefully millions of people are going to see my tweet, which is highly unlikely. But even if they did, remember that the biblical pattern of effectiveness, it's, it's much more likely that you're going to bring major change by investing in one person over the course of a year than by getting one tweet in front of millions of people's eyes. Mm -hmm. That's the pattern that God laid for us. That's what Jesus did, incidentally. 
He did preaching to large groups, but he primarily invested in a small group of people and really trained them and really grew them in depth. That is the biblical pattern. So those are four, four steps of how to fight back. When you feel all frustrated, you feel like the world's falling apart, prayer, personal sanctification, real life, personal ministry, both of those founded on prayer, and then you can, and then you can write your blog posts and your Facebook posts, because that needs to happen too. There do need to be Christians standing up online. John MacArthur is being used over Twitter and over YouTube and Facebook. But John MacArthur has also spent how many years in personal ministry with his church, okay? So, compare Isaiah 1 with 1 Chronicles 7.14. 1 Chronicles 7, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 7.14. God says, humble yourselves and pray. And then Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I don't want your prayers. I want you to go and do justice. Well, what does that mean? That means God doesn't want hollow prayers. God's not impressed with pharisaical prayers. God's not impressed with us going to church on Sunday and then not protesting at the abortion mill. He wants both, but it still starts with prayer. It still starts with the recognition that this is a fight that only God can win. This is a fight for souls. We are crying out for a moving of the Holy Spirit, and frankly, it doesn't matter how many people sign our petitions. If the Spirit of God is not in it, it's empty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is square one. But let's not make a false dichotomy where it's prayer or doing the right thing. It's prayer and doing the right thing. And I suspect that if we are praying rightly, we will not be able to help but do the right thing. If you shed tears and sweat in the prayer closet, you will shed blood on the battlefield. Because you can't have an encounter with God and not say, here am I, send me. That's how it works. So we've got to be careful because we're seeing God's judgment on our land for forsaking Him. That we don't respond. We, we have spent years building this nation in our, the arms of our own flesh. God brings judgment on us for that, and we respond by saying, okay, Lord, we'll fix it in the strength of our own flesh. That's missing the whole point. It starts with humbling ourselves and crying out to God. And as we do so, seeking Him, trusting Him to move, and then walking faithfully in the path that He shows us. That's how we fight back. And you can do all of this with sweet confidence and without fear. Because He is on the throne. He's the one who builds his church. In fact, we can do it without fear precisely because we cannot do it in our own strength. That is why we don't have fear. Because when we come to God in prayer, he promises he's listening. He promises to answer. He promises that he is bringing his victory. Those prayers that are in accordance with his will will be answered. So there's great hope there. What we are seeing now is just cause to worship. Instead of feeling all flustered and frustrated at the craziness of the world, scroll through your Facebook feed and come to the end of it and say, God, you are holy. Amen. Your justice is terrible. And terrible in the sense of awesome. 
you are right in all you do and you are right to pluck up and you are right to tear down and you are right to overflow and I put to overthrow and I put my hand on my mouth and I say holy holy is the Lord and then I'm going to go pray and then I'm going to go, go do family worship and then I'm going to go talk to my neighbor and see if there's anything he needs and then I'm going to go to church and then then I'm going to fight and then I'm going to go pray again because if the Spirit of God is not in it, we might as well just hang it all up because that is what this war is over. Christ versus Satan. Mm-hmm. Children of God versus Satan. Seed of the woman versus...